right before we get into this, that this is a tough little passage. And this is only my second time preaching through a book of the Bible. And I noticed when I went through Colossians that sometimes I'd come to little parts of the, you know, the book and I would think, man, this is kind of a hard knot to untie here. You know, this is tricky. And I would think, maybe, maybe I'd, I think I'd rather preach a few verses after this. So, and there were a couple times I did that. And now with James, I found myself you know, approaching a passage like that again, where I was just like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. But this time I said, no, 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 I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. And um, <clears throat> so this is one of those passages where, you know, sometimes you look at a passage in Scripture and right away it just seems abundantly clear. I know exactly what this is talking about. But then other times you look at it and, no, oh, this is tough. This is tricky. Um, and I think that this passage is a, is a passage like that. Um, but we're going to do our best today uh, with the aid of the Holy Spirit to grasp this wisdom that God is presenting to us. So I will say a quick prayer before we get into it, prayer for illumination, and then we'll get going. So bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for your word, even at times uh, when it's challenging. Uh, it makes us... Uh, it makes us uh, strive to, to know you better and to, to put a little bit of effort in, which uh, is, a, is a good thing for us. And uh, so, God, we just pray that as we study this passage together, as we try to look at, look at it more closely, that you would illuminate our minds uh, to what it is that you want to communicate. Um, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive what it is that you want to communicate. Um, and we pray, Lord, that it, we would be transformed by it, that it would change the way that we live. We pray that this would not just be an intellectual exercise for us, God, but it would be a transformative thing for us. Uh, So we pray that you'd be with us. Uh, We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, um, we'll have it up on the screen too, but we're James chapter 1. Then we're picking up right where we left off last week uh, in verse 9. James writes, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because... Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So the part of that passage that I find difficult is right at the beginning there. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. What? (laughs) Sounds kind of backwards, doesn't it? So those who are in humble circumstances... Uh, In other words, those who are struggling to survive, those whose health is failing them, uh, those who can't make rent, they should take pride in what? Their high position. Excuse me? What high position? I thought they were in humble circumstances. And then the next part is just as confusing. But the rich, those who have wealth, health, status, they should take pride in what? In their humiliation? Huh? What humiliation? I thought they were rich. How are they being humiliated? And why would anyone take pride in their humiliation? Does that make sense? (laughs) How is that even possible? You know, James, is there a typo here? You know, were you dictating this and somebody misunderstood? What's going on? 
Well, in order to understand, one of the first things that we need to do is recognize James's audience. Who is he talking to? Well, notice it says believers in humble circumstances. Some translations say brothers. So either way, the implication is that James is speaking to people who belong to God's family. So people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. So when James says that those in humble circumstances should take pride in their high position, he's not just talking about any person in humble circumstances. Uh, He's talking to people who know the Lord. And it follows, then, that when James talks about the rich, he's also not just speaking generally about people who are rich, but about the people who are rich and who believe in Christ. And I realize, you know, he doesn't explicitly call the rich one a brother uh, or a believer, but... It can be inferred from the structure of the passage. I'm going to sound like a seminarian again. I apologize. Um, Because what you have here uh, is called a parallelism. So two sentences next to each other that are saying similar things that are meant to contrast with one another. Um, So you can see very clearly there when the statements are lined up next to each other, um, believer in humble circumstances parallels the rich. Ought to take pride, obviously parallels should take pride. Uh, And high position is parallel with humiliation. And so you can see that if believer, that word believer, doesn't apply to both sides of the parallel, then the parallel is uneven. That doesn't really make sense. So it makes sense to assume that both the rich and the poor are believers. And one of the reasons that it's so important to recognize this is because we have to realize that both the poor and the rich can be part of God's family. Uh, Being rich or poor doesn't automatically mean that you aren't a person of faith or that you are a person of faith. So for those of us in the church who have less money, because sometimes this happens, I think, if we have less money, we can can feel uh, envious. Uh, We might judge or disdain those who have a lot of money. Uh, And those who are well-off financially shouldn't judge or disdain those who are short on cash. Uh, We should never assume that our wealthy brothers and sisters are greedy false believers. And uh, we shouldn't assume that if people in our churches are not well-off, are poor by the world's standards, either physically or financially, that they're in sin, uh, or they don't have faith or something like that. Because that's just not true. There's uh, believers across the income spectrum. So, James says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Believers who are rich take pride in your humiliation. And if you're like me, even if believers applies to both sides, you're still like, what's going on here? What is he saying? How are we going to untie this knot? So let's start with that first one. What is the high position that those in humble circumstances have? Clearly, it is not a high position by the standards of the world, right? Well, I can see three ways that the poor have a high position, at least from the Bible standpoint. The first is that, through faith, they have been adopted into God's family and are heirs to all of his promises. So this is the high position, actually, that's true of all the rich and all the poor who are in Christ. If you're poor or rich and you're in Christ, then you belong to God's family. If you've put your faith in him, you are an heir. Because you have, waiting for you in heaven, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's permanent. And you are a beloved son or daughter of the Most High. And so, let's say you find yourself in very humble circumstances. Uh, You can't afford home repairs or updates, so your roof is leaking, uh, the paint is peeling, 
your nicest dishware is plastic. Uh, from the looks of your living room, it's still 1972. What James is saying is, if you find yourself in that situation, take pride in your salvation. You know, take pride in the high position that you have as, as a believer. Because in Christ, you do have a high position. By the world standards, you may not be keeping up with the Joneses, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all because you're a child of the king. The second way that the poor have a high position is that it's often easier for them to receive the kingdom of God. Now, I know I just said earlier that believers come from all across the income spectrum. I'm not taking that back. Um, But Jesus was pretty clear that when it comes to entering the kingdom of God, the poor have a certain advantage. Uh, He said in Luke 18.24, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus lamented that. He said it's possible. He said what's impossible with man is possible with God. But he lamented this fact that it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So why is that? Well, Jesus gives the answer, I think, in Matthew 16.25. He gives us another piece of wisdom, a very paradoxical piece of wisdom. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. So in other words, true life, the life that is truly life, can only be found by not clinging to life. So we have a tendency to think that life is found in being rich, in being physically healthy, in being popular. But what Jesus is saying is that we don't really discover real life, real, full, abundant life, until we're willing to let go of those things. Until we're willing to value him and his kingdom and his purposes more than we value any of that. More than we value being rich, physically healthy, or popular. And so the rich have a little bit of a disadvantage because they have a lot more to lose, right? The poor person has very little to lose. But when you have a life by the world's standards, it's hard to get to a place where you're willing to give that up. And even though Jesus doesn't necessarily ask us to give up our wealth or health or popularity, he does want us to be willing to do that. Um, We might not have to, but we have to be willing. Because if we're not willing to lose our lives, then we can never find them. And then the third reason and I think the poor have a high position, is because there's a certain clarity of spiritual vision that often comes with being poor. Uh, If you're a follower of Christ and you have a lot of health and wealth, again, that is not a bad thing. But when you're in that situation, it can be hard to know if your love for Christ really exceeds your love for all your stuff. Uh, Because you might think, well, if I didn't have my multi-million dollar home and my luxury SUV, I would still be content with just having Christ. But experientially, it can be hard to know that that's actually true. Um, But when you're poor, if you're poor and you're content, then you can be pretty sure that your contentment, your life, uh, what you're all about, that's coming from Christ, not from the things of this world. So there's a certain clarity that you have there. And again, I'm not saying that we need to be poor, that we should be poor. I'm just saying I can see how there's a certain high position Uh, that those who are poor by the world's standards have through Christ. And I think there's also um, what you might call a sensitivity to the spiritual realm that humble circumstances help to create. Back when I worked with Crew, uh, we took a spiritual, uh, a spring break trip 
uh, in 2012 to Haiti. And uh, that was not long after the country had suffered a really devastating earthquake. So, I mean, it was already rough circumstances there. But after the earthquake, it was just really, really bad. And uh, so I saw conditions of poverty that week that I had never seen before. And, you know, I've, I've never been in a place before where if you ran out of toothpaste or, you know, didn't have a toothbrush or needed a paper towel or something, you can just go to the convenience store, go to the CVS and get it. But not like that there, you know. If you didn't remember your toothbrush <laughs> when you left, you're sunk. You're, like, you're not brushing your teeth that week. Um, and uh, it was another world. And from a worldly standpoint, the people that I met in that country were very, very poor. They were of low position. But I was told by the Americans who had been working there for a while, working and ministering there, um, that there was something about the poverty and this lack of material wealth that made it so that what you might call the boundary between the spiritual realm and the physical realm was very thin. Uh, That was the way they put it. Um, They said that the people there had an awareness of the spiritual realm uh, and uh, kind of an awareness of things like angels and demons and the battle for souls that we tend to question a lot more uh, in places of affluence. Um, And it wasn't like it wasn't like they, they weren't being intelligent about it. It was just that this, this reality was so self-evident in their experience. And uh, what the ministers told us is that they believed that this uh, self-evident uh, spiritual realm, the reason it was so self-evident to them, uh, was because they didn't have any material stuff to get in the way of their uh, experiencing of it, that they weren't always distracted by material things. Um, and so, in some ways, their spiritual vision was clear. And that's another example, I think, of the high position uh, that those in humble circumstances often have. So, there you go. So, uh, three ways that those in humble circumstances have a high position that they can take pride in, right? Something to actually be proud of. And I can't say for sure that James had all three of those in mind. I'm very confident that he had the first one in mind that he was saying you need to be confident that you're part of God's family and take pride in that. Second two, I'm less sure that James actually had that in mind, but I'm sure when I look at Scripture and I consider my own experience that those two things are also true. So that helps to make sense, hopefully, of the first part of that knot. But then there's the second part. But the rich believers should take pride in their humiliation. What's that about? sounds pretty nonsensical to take pride in humiliation, doesn't it? It doesn't even seem possible. When I think of my own humiliating moments, there are many to pick from, uh, but one that I'm actually willing to share right now comes from sixth grade. I was an aspiring basketball player uh, who was less than mediocre, and I was in a league with kids who were mostly one to two years older than me, so you can imagine how well that was going. Uh, I didn't get many chances to shoot the ball or even touch the ball. And one day I was out on the court and the ball ended up in my hands. It actually happened. And I realized, this is my moment. It's my moment to shine. So I started to make a beeline across the court for the basket. And I was, I was so happy that nobody was catching up to me. I mean, I was flying, like, going for that basket. I was out running the defense 
And I knew I was going to be able to make it all the way to the basket and shoot that perfect layup. It's going to be my moment. And, you know, like my adrenaline is pumping really, really fast. And I can, I can hear my teammates shouting, one of my friends shouting, actually, go all the way, go all the way. And when I got into the paint just a few feet from the basket, it hit me that he was actually saying, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> of course, that was why I was able to outrun the defense, because the defense was guarding the appropriate basket on the other side of the court. So, humiliation. I felt it. Now, I can laugh at that incident now, but I wouldn't say that it's something I'm proud of. You know, I, I, can't, I can't really take pride in that. So, is James really saying that rich people should be proud of when they're humiliated? That they should be proud of running the, way, the wrong way in the basketball game? That they should be proud of getting food stuck in their teeth and that sort of thing? Well, I don't think that that's quite what James means. Uh, the translation here is, is challenging, but I think that a good paraphrase of this, one that kind of hits our ears and makes more sense, is um, the rich should take pride in being humble. They should take pride in being humble. Um, I think that what James is saying is that if a person is rich, he shouldn't be proud of his wealth. He shouldn't be proud that he has a huge house, that he has a nice car, that he can afford great vacations. Uh, those are things he should be grateful to God for, but they shouldn't be things that, he, that fill him with pride. Uh, instead, his sense of pride, his sense of fulfillment should come from being humble. And uh, I realize it sounds kind of contradictory to say that we should take pride in being humble. That's paradoxical. But I really do think that's what James is getting at here. He's saying that the rich person should pride himself on not being proud about being rich. Uh, a rich person's pride should actually come from being able to be indifferent about all those riches. Um, not that rich people shouldn't uh, take good care of what God has given them, not that they shouldn't steward it well, but they should be able to feel like their contentment has nothing to do with whether they have all that stuff. Uh, and so I think that's the attitude that James is calling for here. He's saying, rich people, take pride in your indifference about all those riches. Back around the time of the great stock market crash of 1929, uh, the vice president of a radio corporation committed suicide by jumping out of a window. That did actually happen a few times. Um, not as much as sometimes people claim, but it did happen some. And his suicide note read, uh, We are broke. Last April I was worth $100,000. Today I am $24,000 in the red. Now that's an example of someone whose pride, someone uh, whose sense of well-being was very attached to his wealth. And what James is saying is that no one should be proud of that kind of attitude. Uh, that attitude that says, oh, woe is me, my riches are all gone, I have nothing to live for. He's saying that the attitude that's worthy of pride is one that says, last April I was worth $100,000, uh, today I'm $24,000 in the red, but I'm going to be okay, because my life is still worth living, because my worth doesn't come from the dollar figure that's attached to my name. Uh, we can also talk about this kind of attitude in terms of status, not just money, but also status. One way that we can be rich in the world is in terms of our status, right? Having a reputation for being smart or wealthy or important. 
And uh, the kind of person who takes pride in the riches of their status is the kind of person who says, do you know who I am? Do you know? I'm kind of a big deal. Do you know who I am? Um, But the kind of person who takes pride in their humility doesn't really care if people know about their rich reputation. It doesn't matter to them. In fact, they probably like it when people treat them like everybody else. So I think that's what it means to take pride in humility. I think that's what James is getting at. So why should should the rich take pride in humility? Why not take pride in wealth and health and status? And James gives a really common sense answer. I've said James is a practical guy. He gives a very practical answer. It's an undeniably true answer. uh, But it's something that we human beings kind of like to suppress. Uh, So I think it definitely qualifies as the wisdom of God. And his answer is because all that wealth and health and status is temporary. It's not going to last. He says uh, the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Why? Because they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Are you rich in money? Well, don't forget. Even if you manage to hold on to all that wealth for the rest of your life, eventually death is going to separate you from it. Are you rich in health? Are you strong and physically fit and good-looking? Well, don't forget, the longer you live the more your body is going to deteriorate. deteriorate. It would be depressing, but it's the way it works. Are you rich in status? Do people know your name and think highly of you? Well, even if you manage to hold on to your good reputation until your death, chances are, a few generations after you're gone, people won't remember your name. I mean, if I say to everyone in this room right now, what are the first names of your parents? I'm sure you can give me the first names of your parents. If I say, what are the first names of... Your grandparents, you can probably do that. But if I say, what are the first names of your great-grandparents? I bet for a lot of you it starts to get fuzzy. I know it does for me. And if I say great-great-grandparents, it's really getting fuzzy. So and these are our relatives. You know, these are the people that we share our genes with. But wealth fades, health fades, status fades. The rich man will fade away. So here's the thing. If your pride is connected to your riches, the story of your life is going to be a tragedy. It's inevitable. Because all the riches will fade. But if your pride is in your humility, in your indifference to those riches, then it's a lot less tragic. Then your life is a story of overcoming the world rather than slowly being destroyed by it. And here is the gist, I would say, of what James is saying in this confusing little passage. If you're poor, take heart. Your value doesn't come from worldly riches. And if you're rich, be humble. Again, because your value doesn't come from worldly, worldly riches. So what God's wisdom does is it elevates the poor and it humbles the rich. And another way of putting that is that God's wisdom breaks down the barriers between economic classes. As human beings, we've been divided in so many ways since the fall. We're we're divided along ethnic lines, along gender lines, national lines, and class lines. And God wants to break down those barriers that divide us. And so, one of the things that I would really uh, encourage you to reflect on after the service during this week is, uh, do I have 
Christian friends of different economic classes? Uh, Or do I just tend to stick with my own? Uh, Have I invited people into my home of different economic class than I am? Because if we're taking God's wisdom to heart here, we should feel comfortable socializing and being hospitable with brothers and sisters all across the income spectrum. If, uh, if we're relatively poor by the world's standards, we shouldn't be ashamed to invite our relatively rich brothers and sisters over for dinner because they're not going to care if they eat off plastic, right? Or if it still looks like 1972 in the living room. Or at least they shouldn't <laughs> because they should be taking pride in their humility. They should know riches don't matter. And those of us who are poorer by the world's standards shouldn't feel Uh, we should feel free to have them over because our pride isn't in our riches, but it's in who we are in Christ. Um, And if we're rich, we shouldn't hold back from socializing with poor brothers and sisters or having them over because we know that we're no better than they are uh, because those riches are going to fade anyway. And in some way, those poor brothers and sisters, they actually have a privileged position and we have a lot to learn from them. So as we finish up, Let's look at that last verse there, verse 12. So after giving us uh, this wisdom, James says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So we're back to talking about trials again, right? Like we were uh, last week. And what I want us to notice is that what James is saying here is that whether we are poor or rich, we're undergoing a trial. If you're poor, the main trial you're facing is whether or not you're going to do what James is saying here, which is take pride in your high position. In other words, are you going to find your value in the things of this world or in Christ? And if you're rich, the main trial you're facing is whether you're going to be able to take pride in your humility. Are you going to find your value in in fading riches or in Christ? And so the central truth for both the poor and the rich is this. Will Will your value, your joy, your peace, your identity come from worldly riches or from your love for Christ? Which will it be? If your joy comes from worldly riches, then if you're poor, you're going to be unhappy because you don't have them. And if you're rich you're also going to be unhappy eventually because you're going to lose your riches. But if you learn to find your joy in your love for Christ, then your joy is safe and secure. James says that for those of us who find our joy, our peace, our identity in Christ, then we will receive the crown of life. In other words, we will experience true life, life that doesn't fade, life that lasts forever. The crown of riches fades. Uh, There aren't many kings around these days who wear crowns, not that I know of. Uh, It seems like at one point there was. And you know what? They've faded. Both the crowns and the people who wore them. Now the crowns are in museums. Um, But the crown of life is the crown that doesn't fade. And whether we're rich or poor, that's the crown that's available to us. When we love Christ more than we love the things that fade. The uh, pastor and author, Tim Keller, he's one of my favorite speakers, and he has this great line. He says, uh, when we hitch our hearts to things that fade, we fade with them. 
Uh, and I think that's true. When our deepest love is for worldly riches, then when those things fade, we can't help but fade with them. But when our deepest love is for Christ, when our hearts are hitched to him, then we can never fade because our hearts are hitched to something that's everlasting. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that the wisdom that you offer is uh, wisdom that breaks down uh, the divisions between classes. Um, it's, it's wisdom that uh, sort of lay, levels the playing field in life, Lord. Uh, we thank you for wisdom that reminds us that uh, if we're poor by worldly standards, that you are exalting us. Um, and if we're rich by worldly standards... Uh, that we have an inheritance that won't fade like all those riches. God, I pray that you would help us to be appropriately uh, joyful uh, about our salvation, but also humble about the things of this world that we have, God. Um, I pray that we would be able to have friends, uh, brothers and sisters across the income spectrum, Lord. Um, I pray, God, that we would be able to see uh, your kingdom being manifest in our lives um, by being friends with, with people across that spectrum, Lord. And I pray that you would help us all to learn from each other. Um, I pray for anyone here who might be struggling uh, financially, God, um, that they would have joy just in, in knowing who they are in Christ, God, uh, that you would lift them up and exalt them, God. And I, I pray for those of us who are well off, God, that you would help us to um, take pride in being humble. We thank you, Lord, that you offer us something that does not fade. And uh, we pray that we would hitch our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.